is an audio platform created to educate, inform, and empower women to take charge of their physical and mental health. Join Shalana Battle and her occasional guests as they discuss many issues and health topics that concern women. While many health tips and advice will be discussed on this platform by licensed professionals, it should not take the place of seeking help from your own physician or therapist. If you feel that you need professional advice or medical assistance, do not hesitate to contact your provider. Now, let's get to the show. Hey sis, you have just tuned in to The Eavesdrop and I am Dr. Shalana Battle. If you didn't know already, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. It is the time where we raise awareness of those living with mental and behavioral health disorders. I like that there is a month dedicated to mental health because during this month, I've seen so many posts and memes in support of mental wellness. And I believe that if we keep talking about mental disorders, it will allow us to remove the stigma and normalize this health issue. And we can then begin to treat it just like any other socially acceptable chronic health problem. I saw a meme today that said, never give up on someone with a mental illness. When I is replaced with we, illness becomes wellness. I thought the message in this meme was so profound because when I think about the family unit and how most of us have at least one person in our family who is suffering from some sort of mental illness, maybe a drug problem or even alcoholism, it's really easy for them to become the black sheep of the family or the person everyone has dismissed. And can you imagine how isolating this must be? Isolation can be very dangerous to someone who might be severely depressed or someone who may have severe anxiety. We have to continue to normalize the issue. And if you have someone in your family who is suffering from a mental or behavioral illness, pray for them, support them, love on them daily, and let them know that you are here for them regardless if they accept help or not. Don't give up on them. If you see that they are not willing to accept help at that moment in time, don't give up. Keep pushing. See to it that they get the help at some point. I am a living witness that this will help lead them to a path of wellness. And if you are dealing with a mental issue or feeling left out or feeling isolated, seek help. There are so many support groups. There are so many good therapists out there that are willing to give you a hand. Seek someone in your family who is willing to listen to you or someone who you might be close with. Do not isolate yourself. Use your voice to get the help that you need. Now, Mental Health Awareness Month is not just about bringing awareness to mental illness, but I think it's also about bringing awareness to our own mental state. And it reminds us that we must always do a mental wellness check with ourselves. Like on a scale from zero to 10, with 10 being optimal mental wellness, where are you? If you are not a 10, 
What is keeping you from achieving optimal mental wellness? I challenge you to do some restorative activities to help you achieve wellness. And here are a few tips. If you don't already, get a consistent exercise routine. Exercise always makes you feel better. Pray and meditate daily. Have a time where you commit to just being quiet, letting all the noise around you go. Shut off the television. Get to a place where you are alone without interruption and just pray and meditate and be alone in your thoughts. Listen to soft, calming, and uplifting music. Go to the beach. Now this is one that really helps me. There is nothing like listening to the sound of the waves just crashing onto the sand. Take a tub bath. Turn your bathroom into a spa. Use candles. Use aromatherapy. Use bath salts, as long as they're not fragranced. <laughs> just get comfortable and just get into your own space. Go on a staycation, rather it's with family or even alone. I did a staycation on South Beach one year because I had a lot going on with me in my personal life and I just needed to get away from everything and I felt like it was the best thing I could have done for myself. Get a therapist. There is such a stigma on getting therapy because I think there's just this negative connotation that if you see a therapist, something must be wrong with you. But everyone is doing it these days, especially if you have a job that requires you to function at a high level every single day. Having a therapist gives you an opportunity to explore your thoughts your feelings and behavior. It also can help you learn new coping skills and techniques to better manage your daily stressors. And those are just my tips. Today, we have a special guest to discuss perinatal mental health. Perinatal mental health refers to a woman's mental health during pregnancy and the postpartum period. And the postpartum period just refers to that time after a woman has given birth. During pregnancy and especially during the postpartum period, there is a major shift in the reproductive hormones. Most women are able to compensate and function during these hormonal changes, but some mothers have a difficult time adjusting. While bringing home a new baby can be an exciting and joyful time, the changes that accompany the perinatal period can leave some mothers feeling very sad, very guilty, overwhelmed, irritable, or unable to relax and enjoy their new baby. And in some severe cases, some mothers may develop perinatal mood disorders and illnesses. Today we have Natalie Belazare, a licensed mental health counselor. She is here today to help us understand the different types of perinatal mood disorders, the signs and symptoms of them, and to provide advice to mothers who may be experiencing or have been diagnosed with a perinatal mood disorder. Are you ready for this conversation? Well, the wait is over. Here you go. Hello, Natalie. How are you? I am well. How are you, Shalana? 
I am great and I am so excited and so grateful that you are here on the eavesdrop. We are about to drop some knowledge about maternal mental health and it is my goal to create awareness and possibly help someone who is looking for answers. Mm -hmm. So I would love to start the show by allowing you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, Again, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here, to be able to share the information because I know we need it, right? And it helps. My name is Natalie Belazare. I am a licensed mental health counselor in the South Florida area. And I have been practicing for over 19 years. My goodness. Yes, um, that's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, when I, I graduated from the University of Florida, and when I got out, I started working with adolescents in the school system. Not actually working for the school, but I worked for an agency that provided day treatment services. So I did that for a good bit of years. And then after that, I went into working with an EAP, an employee assistance program. And after that, I went into working with individuals, families, doing counseling. And so recently, in about two months, <laughs> I will be celebrating my two-year-old's birthday. And oh, happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And that is really when I kind of, two years ago, basically, is when I got thrust into the perinatal mental health world. Mind you, I've worked with adolescents, I've worked with adults, but in my journey to become a mom, I started to experience anxiety like never before. And I was like, what is this? So in, in that, you know, just really trying to take care of myself, recognizing the symptoms, right? Because this is what I teach. This is what, what I work with people on. And so when it was happening, I was like, okay, I, this is anxiety. And I'm worrying and all these things were happening. And I realized there were so many things I did not know. I did not know about becoming a mom and what it entailed. And so I reached out to a couple other moms that I knew got some support from them. And then I looked into being trained as a perinatal mental health counselor. And so I did that with Postpartum Support International and it's been great. And so my goal is to work with moms. I work with others as well, but definitely work with moms who may be experiencing some of these difficulties. Okay, that is wonderful. And you've worked in so many different areas of mental yes. health. And yes. that is very respectable. I want to know, like with all the different areas of mental health that you worked in, which mm -hmm. area did you enjoy the most? That is a good question. <laughs> so I thought I enjoyed working with the school age children. <laughs> so much so that when I left there, I was crying. And I was like, I can't, I won't ever find a job like this. It, you know, got emotional. <laughs> um, but as of recently, I've been doing the private, you know, practice, working as an independent contractor, and I love it. I describe it to my friends. I feel comfortable in my skin with the work that I do now, working with individuals and families in the office setting. It's 
different. It's challenging. It, I get to see the ups and downs of people working through the difficulties in their lives. I come alongside them and I love it now. Yeah, yeah. that is yeah. amazing. And it's definitely a blessing to be able mm-hmm. to do that. I think mm-hmm. people who work in your, your field have a special calling on their lives. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about perinatal mental health. And you and I both know that perinatal mental health basically refers to the mental state of a woman during and after her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And when we think mm-hmm. about perinatal mental health disorders, we commonly think about postpartum depression yes. because it's probably one of the most common reported issues right. when compared to the other issues that are out there. But I wanted to actually discuss the many other mental health issues during pregnancy and during postpartum. Yeah, no, you hit that right on the head. So most people, when they think about uh, mental health issues with women who are pregnant, they say postpartum depression. But it really falls under perinatal mood and anxiety disorders because there's more than just postpartum depression. And when you think about postpartum, there's a tendency to think that, oh, this happens after I give birth, postpartum. But actually, the symptoms of depression or anxiety can begin right after conception, right? So while pregnant, and the time frame we typically give is a year after birth is what is that window basically when a woman can experience the perinatal mood and anxiety disorder or mooding, mood or anxiety disorder. So the first one, so, well, just to go back again, that window that we're talking about from conception to a year after birth. And and really, it can go beyond that, especially if it's not treated, if it's not addressed. But let's go ahead and talk about perinatal depression, right? And so it can occur during pregnancy and it can occur after a woman gives birth. And approximately 15% of women experience significant depression following childbirth. And they say that 10% of women experience depression in pregnancy. So one in 10 women, if you're in a room, during their pregnancy will experience depression and then 15% afterwards. Now the percentages they say are even higher for women who are in poverty or who are teens. Then if you can imagine when you're in poverty, you're dealing with financial stressors, you're dealing with maybe access to quality care, things of that nature, lack of support. And so that can be a factor to why the percentage is higher for women who are in the lower um, economic status or who are teens. And teens, of course, if we think about it, they're younger, they, again, financially, may be dependent mm-hmm. upon others, may not have the support. And just emotionally and psychologically speaking, that development that we need 
I think they're saying now that the frontal lobe isn't fully developed until you're 25 now. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that yeah. ability to think through complicated situations is, is <laughs> we don't have it until we're older. So if you're a teen mom dealing with hormonal changes, again, these are some factors that can go into why the percentage is higher for them. So when we look at what depression is and what it looks like, to be honest, it actually is similar to those that you hear of with depression in general. It's just occurring during this time frame for women. So there's a persistent sadness, anxious or empty mood. There's irritability, so meaning anything someone does it gets on your nerves <laughs> feelings of guilt worthlessness hopelessness helplessness loss of interest or pleasure in hobbies and activities there is fatigue or abnormal decrease in energy and i'll stop here a little bit because sometimes what can be complicated is that a lot of the symptoms actually naturally occur with pregnancy so I remember one day I got up to do some house chores. I did not even pick up the broom and I sat down winded because the body for a yeah. woman is it's working overtime. And so sometimes a, someone might experience that and say, okay, is this depression? I don't know. So some of the symptoms, it can be hard to tell, right? Um, but one thing I say is when we're talking about the symptoms, we're looking at intensity and how long they're lasting for, right? So continuing on with some of the symptoms of depression, there's a feeling restless or having trouble sitting still, difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions, difficulty sleeping. And this is even when the baby is sleeping you just can't lay down. You're waking up early or you're oversleeping. Changes in your appetite, weight changes, aches, pains in the body. There's one that occurs where there's trouble bonding or forming an emotional attachment with the baby where you look at this child and you don't quite feel anything and it continues, right? So there's a part of that that is normal because it's kind of a new person you're getting to meet. And exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And with time, with the feedings and the changes and things like that, the bonding can grow. There's persistent doubts about the ability to care for the new baby. Now, again, it's a little tricky because every mom has that thought. Am I a good mom? It comes in, right? But it's to what degree does this thought infiltrate your mind and prevent you from being able to do your daily activities? And then the last one, but not definitely not least, is thoughts about death, suicide, harming yourself or the baby. So these are some of the symptoms, yeah, for so, uh, depression. Mm -hmm. 
So with depression, I know that there is postpartum depression and then there's mm-hmm. also the baby blues, which a yes. large percentage of moms get like immediately after having a baby. And I think sometimes the symptoms can be confused. Some women who go to their provider and they might complain about the symptoms and they may just get brushed off or saying, oh, it's just the baby blues. It'll go over, it'll pass. So yeah. I wanted to have you share like the difference between the two and when the woman should seek help. That's very good. So the research says that about 60 to 80% of women will experience baby blues because once you have the baby, there is a dramatic change in the hormones or they're adjusting. And so in that time frame, your emotions, listen, they're all over the place. Up and down. <laughs> so they're up and down. Absolutely. And so think about it, 60 to 80%. That's a lot of women who will experience these changes in their moods. But for baby blues, they last about two weeks after childbirth, maybe three. So if you're having that conversation with your doctor within that window, yes, it is normal. You know, it's something to keep an eye on, to monitor. It may feel dismissive, but in in all honesty, many women feel that way immediately after childbirth and up to three weeks. But after that point, this is when you advocate for yourself and you say, no, I need help. I am still experiencing these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yes, I definitely agree. And you mentioned with postpartum depression that there is the symptoms of fatigue, there's the symptoms of irritability and a lack of desire to do things that the woman once did. The baby blues has the same symptoms. So the mindset with baby blues isn't one where you feel as though you just can't do it, right? With baby blues, there is an acknowledgement that your mood is low. There is an acknowledgement that you're sleep deprived, that you're fatigued, but it doesn't take away your worth, your sense of ability to do this, right? It's the intensity is different with depression versus baby blues. Those are, again, the symptoms that a woman may experience with perinatal depression. Again, this can happen either during pregnancy or after. Now, Someone might ask, well, what are the risk factors? You know, what's the likelihood that this can happen to me? And so it's not one thing. And with all of these disorders or conditions that we're going to talk about, it's not just one thing. It's multiple. But for perinatal depression in particular, if there is a personal or family history of depression or anxiety, that possibility increases for you. So if you've been diagnosed with depression in the past, it is possible that pregnancy can cause it to reoccur or worsen the symptoms. If in your past you have had issues with your menstrual cycle causing 
intense changes in your mood. I believe it's called the premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Disorder. Mm -hmm. Yes. So if you have a history of that, it is very possible that you can have perinatal depression, right? Is it a must? No, but it's just a, a risk factor. Inadequate support in caring for the baby, this is huge because taking care of a baby, it is 24-7. When the baby, when they come, they're feeding sometimes every two hours, if not sooner, shorter than that. If they're cluster feeding, it's shorter than that, right? And so if there isn't someone to maybe take the baby for some time just to allow you that rest, that can lead to depression, right? If you don't get that break, if you don't get that help, it can be extremely overwhelming. Financial stress, marital stress, complications in pregnancy, birth, or breastfeeding, breastfeeding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if it's difficult and you're not able to get the baby to latch on, yeah. And if it's painful, Mm -hmm. it can really cause, it can be a risk factor there. A major recent life event, such as a house move, maybe you purchased a home, it's a great event, but it's still stressful, right? Um, job loss or grieving. So, of course, we're in a time of COVID where a lot of women were pregnant, but they were also dealing with the isolation, with loss themselves. So that could be a risk factor. Mothers of multiples. It's a risk factor because if you can imagine all of these things happening with one, add another, you double the intensity of Mm -hmm. the stress. Mm -hmm. Right. Mothers whose infants are in the neonatal intensive care unit, so in NICU, that is an extremely stressful situation for a mother Mm -hmm. to be in, the worry for their child, and that can be a risk factor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and going back to that, I I had a conversation with a woman before who Mm -hmm. had postpartum depression after having a difficult pregnancy and a difficult labor, and her baby Mm -hmm. did end up in the intensive care unit, and Mm -hmm. it was a very premature baby, and one of the Mm -hmm. things that she said is, I got depressed because I felt like my body failed my baby, and I think that's like the the mindset of some mothers, Mm -hmm. so that just to bring your point. To like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There is um, an introduction to what is called mom guilt because there is an awareness that your body is housing this new life. And so there's this idea of I need to therefore be, my body needs to be perfect. I need to be perfect in order to create the healthiest, perfect little child. And if there's any type of deviation, if there's any hiccup in that, it can really affect a mom. You feel like your body betrayed you and your baby. Especially if you tried to do everything right. You ate right. You went to all of your appointments. You didn't smoke. You didn't drink. You did everything you were supposed to do and it still ended up this way. Yeah. And what will happen is in your mind, you'll start saying, was it when I went for a walk? Did that do it? 
when of course it didn't, but we start to figure out why did this happen to me? And, and truly, doesn't that happen with life? Sometimes we face difficult situations and the question becomes, what did I do? Did I cause that? And you know, it's, it's, a, hard, it's a hard question. The answer is really nothing, nothing. So yeah, absolutely. Another risk factor are mothers who have gone through infertility treatments, women with a thyroid imbalance, and women with any form of diabetes. All of those, as you can imagine, they affect the hormone levels. And so that can lead to changes in the mood, drastic changes in the mood. Yeah. Uh, and so the next one, which I think most moms might relate to after the fact is postpartum anxiety. And so under postpartum anxiety, there are several conditions that come up. One is obsessive compulsive, right? There's the panic disorder, but let's talk about the general one first. So for postpartum anxiety, and I'm saying postpartum, I should correct it, it's perinatal anxiety because it can occur during pregnancy or after childbirth. So it says that approximately 6% of pregnant women and 10% of postpartum women develop anxiety. And sometimes they experience anxiety alone or it's in addition to the depression. And so what are the symptoms of anxiety? Constant worry, feeling that something bad is going to happen, racing thoughts, disturbance in your sleep and appetite, an inability to sit still, and even physical symptoms such as dizziness, hot flashes, and nausea. And if I can speak to this, there is something that happens when you become a mom where you research everything there is to know <laughs> about pregnancy. Yes. <laughs> I consumed so much information <laughs> when I was pregnant. I was on YouTube. I purchased books. I downloaded apps. I wanted to know what was going on at every moment of the day. Yes. <laughs> Mind you guys, this is, this is not my typical behavior. <laughs> I'm your cool, calm, collected individual. But no, once I found out I was pregnant, it was over. But there is that worry. It is, okay, What's the best, when you're thinking about getting things for the baby, what's the best crib? What's the best car seat? What's the best stroller? What's the best food? What's the, like, you're, there's this endless list of what should I do? Wait. Should I vaccinate? Mm -hmm. Should I not vaccinate? All of these. And unfortunately, there can be some harsh judgments passed yeah. on what decisions a mom will make, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. oh, oh, you didn't vaccinate your child or you vaccinated your child? Oh my goodness, mm -hmm. you breastfed? You didn't breastfeed? Oh, like, yeah. So all of these judgments can occur that really don't help to the, the mom to feel good about herself or the decision that she's making, right? Mm -hmm. So all of that, all of that. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. And I think this is important to know 
uh, within the healthcare system too, because mm -hmm. when mothers go for their first appointment for the pediatrician, they're probably offered vaccines and there are some yeah. moms that don't want vaccinations on their children. Yeah. And then yeah. they get pressured into doing it because they are made to feel as if they're not doing the right thing because they're denying mm -hmm. vaccinations. Like you see that kind of all the yeah. time. And yeah. I think it's important for healthcare providers and people in the healthcare system to know mm -hmm. that decisions like this are not made lightly. <laughs> and you can add to the anxiety by forcing, you know, patients to do things that they really aren't comfortable with doing. 100%. And it seems that the decisions that have to be made, they're a million. They're, and, and they weigh heavy on a mom's mind because you want to do the best for your child. So I agree with you for health. And you know, when you find a good doctor that understands, then it's great. When you can have the conversation and they say, okay, you let me know, right? This is my recommendation, but you let me know. Then you struck gold when you find a doctor that understands. But again, sometimes with the health professionals or just people in your community and your family, they can add to the stress. Yeah. And the worry. So the risk factors for perinatal anxiety is similar to depression in that if you've had personal experience with anxiety or if there is a family history, then the chances increase that you are at risk of having perinatal anxiety as well. Now, the one that falls under anxiety is postpartum panic disorder. And this one is, it's hard because it's very, it's, it's a panic attack but you're having it, this is the first time you're having it um, is after you've had a child. And this can include shortness of breath, chest pain, feelings of being closed in, claustrophobia, dizziness, heart palpitations, numbness and tingling in your extremities. So those symptoms that I've just mentioned are connected to panic. So when the anxiety has gotten to the point where you are panicking, then those are the symptoms that you'll experience. The thing with panic attacks is they, they can feel like you're dying, but you're not. Right. A lot of people present in ERs for chest pains and things of that nature, and they think that it's a heart attack when in actuality it's anxiety it's or panic. panic attack. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yes. So that can occur in, in postpartum or for moms as well. The next one, the next anxiety-related disorder is postpartum OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder. And you don't have to be diagnosed with OCD to experience some of the common symptoms that go along with it. It's believed that about three to 5% of new moms will experience these symptoms. So if you listen to the numbers from when we started talking about perinatal depression, we're going from the most common to the ones, to the least common ones. So um, again, with, post, with OCD, it's about three to 5% of new moms that experience that. And it includes obsessive or intrusive thoughts that are persistent, repetitive, images related to the baby. 
this one can be scary because sometimes you might, for example, imagine the baby, you dropping the baby. And that thought isn't just kind of like a, oh, it comes in and it goes out. No, it's repetitive. It's persistent. It's over and over again. So it's obsessive intrusive. It's not that you want to drop the baby. It's the thought of dropping the baby that just mm -hmm. keeps coming in. Mm -hmm. They're very upsetting, especially when you, again, think about a mom who is wanting to do everything to present the best for their child. And now here comes these thoughts. And so now mm -hmm. the fear is I am going to drop my baby. Right. And so that can lead to sometimes the mom not wanting to be left alone because they yeah. want to make sure that this baby is okay. Then there are, along with the obsessions, compulsions. And compulsions are activities that you do repetitively that may not be directly related to the obsession, but doing it makes you feel relaxed. It mm -hmm. makes you feel as though you've exercised control over the situation. And so it could be cleaning constantly, checking things many times, counting or reordering things. Sometimes some people, they have a thing like, well, they'll close the door and they'll knock on the door a certain number of times that lets them know, mind you, unrelated to actual safety, but for them, it gives them a sense of, okay, it relaxes them. There's a sense of horror about the obsessions. Again, they're not wanting these actions or these mental images to occur. So it's extremely, extremely upsetting for mm -hmm. a mom that can experience this. There's hypervigilance in protecting the infant. So no one is going to touch them, right? Mm -hmm. Without I'm washing their hands. <laughs> no, no, actually, even if you wash your hands, it can get to that degree yeah. where if, it's, if, if there is just that fear of anything happening to the baby, then it, it you know, that there's that hypervigilance. So no one yeah. can touch them, not even their partner. And if you think about it, mom needs rest, but if she's not able to trust anyone to hold her baby, then she's now becoming sleep deprived. And so it becomes mm -hmm. this bit of a cycle that happens. And I can see how these disorders can lead to other disorders just because Absolutely. of the activity that happens within each one. Yes, yeah. yes. And which is why we'll get to this. It's important to, when you recognize this is happening, to ask for help. Yeah. Because if you ask for help, you can get in and get the interventions, get the help that you need so that mm -hmm. it doesn't escalate into something else or something more. Yeah, right. absolutely. Right. Yeah. So then the next one we've got is postpartum PTSD. So there are women who experience traumatic deliveries or traumatic pregnancies. And so those traumas can include a prolapsed cord, an unplanned C-section, the use of a vacuum, again, the baby going to NICU, feelings of powerlessness, poor communication, or lack of support and reassurance during the delivery. This is huge. Because if you think about 
when a woman is planning for pregnancy, a lot of times they have a birthing plan. They've got their people who are going to be there with them. If something happens, for example, again, I bring up COVID because it's the time that we're in. Even now, some hospitals are not allowing women to have their partners come in with them. So they are really going through this alone. And then if something happens, they're being induced or they're having to go into C-section, Sometimes it feels as though they have lost power. It, it is the medical professionals who are making all the decisions for them. And in that moment, I'll say they, they suck it up, but afterwards it can have some effects. Yeah. yeah. Um, women who have experienced previous trauma, such as rape or sexual abuse, are also at a higher risk of experiencing postpartum PTSD. And it's because of just when you think about the, the act of giving birth and the exposure that occurs when a woman has to have the nurse, the doctor, it can be very triggering for a woman who, who may have experienced that. And so the more support she has, the better. Also, women who have experienced severe physical complication or injury related to the pregnancy or childbirth. So we're talking about hemorrhaging, an unexpected hysterectomy, severe preeclampsia or eclampsia, peri perennial trauma, which is the, the tear, third or fourth degree, yeah. or even cardiac disease. So if there is a physical complication that occurs, that trauma can impact women after delivery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the reason why um, healthcare providers are so influential yes. in attacking these issues because you know how this woman's delivery was. You know how the pregnancy was. You yes. know her health history. So therefore, yes. you know the risk factors. Yes. And it's so important to ask the questions when these women yes. come back for their six-week checkup or during mm -hmm. the pregnancy or just randomly throughout the pregnancy if they're having a tough pregnancy because yeah. it really influences mental health after and it's not just mom's mental health because if mom's mm -hmm. not health healthy mentally she can't take care of her baby Absolutely. it just trickles down to the family yes. you know yes. and to the communities because it costs money to take care of these type of issues so yeah it's very important to really tackle the situation when you can and to yes. really, really treat this as if you were treating any other disorder like hypertension or diabetes mm -hmm. because it, yeah. it matters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and the screenings, I mean, the screenings for gestational diabetes, the screenings for making sure they're monitoring your blood pressure, it is intense, mm -hmm. right? During mm -hmm. pregnancy, that same intensity is not shown for mental health. It's just it's not. not. It's no, not. And, and, and there's so change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. And there are so many professional organizations that mm -hmm. recommend 
that these screenings take place. I know the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology is a professional organization that has mm -hmm. guidelines for OBGYNs and midwives and nurse practitioners to follow mm -hmm. when they're screening women for these disorders. And they're supposed to be screened during the pregnancy and six weeks postpartum. So mm -hmm. there are guidelines out there that do support this, but the thing is you have to do it. <laughs> you right. can have all the guidelines <laughs> out there, but you have to implement the practice. So, yeah. And you know what, I, I, six, that, after that six week mark though, do you know the next time you see OBGYN is a year later, right? Hey. So, mm -hmm. so that, it, to me, it's not enough, right? Well, mm -hmm. let me not say that because I know what they do is they then transition your care to your primary. So yes, then on the primary care physician side, they would want to continue the screening, right? Up until a year so that they're able to make sure that there aren't any new symptoms that have presented themselves for this mom. Because technically, after that six weeks, you're not seeing your OB until a year late, uh, until the next year. It's true. And by that and time, pediatricians. So yeah, and I think pediatricians are also doing screenings as well too. So I think it's in their guidelines to screen mothers or they should be as well. They should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I think this is the reason why women should advocate for themselves. And, yes. and this is the reason why I'm doing this podcast so that women mm -hmm. can learn about these disorders and the different yeah. symptoms. So yeah. that way, if you see that you're feeling this way, you be an advocate for yourself. So that's, that's very right. important because as healthcare providers, like you said, you only see them every so often. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we won't know how you're feeling unless you verbalize it. So right. you won't verbalize it if you don't know. So you have to really, inform yourself and just be your advocate for yourself. Yeah. And I think this is important too, not just for women who are pregnant, but for just the community. If you are aware of these symptoms, if you have a friend, if you have a family member who, hmm, they just had a baby and I, I noticed a change in them, you can, you now have the information yes, to lovingly exactly. go to them and say, hey, are you okay? What can I do for you? So that you're able to, we can come in on from many sides and make sure the moms are taken care of. So in terms of the PTSD, we talked about some of the traumas that can cause or that can lead um, to PTSD, but here are the symptoms, right? This is what a, a mom may experience. It's intrusive re-experiencing of that traumatic event. So you might find yourself picturing or smelling or remembering the delivery or the C-section or any aspect that was traumatic for you, you're reliving it. And it's not that you're wanting to, they're intrusive. Intrusive thoughts are thoughts that come in without your... Um, permission, if, if, I, if I can even say. Another symptom, flashbacks or nightmares. So flashbacks is kind of, um, you picture yourself being in that moment or while you're sleeping, you have those memories again, you're reliving it. Avoidance of stimuli associated with the event. 
So this one can be interesting because if, for example, all, well, not if, if the trauma occurs in the hospital or with your doctor, then you then avoid the hospital and the doctor. So let's say there's something wrong going on for you or for the baby because of the trauma, you might avoid them and not get the care that you need. So avoidance of, again, the stimuli, and that can include you avoid the thoughts, you avoid feelings, you avoid people, you avoid places, you avoid the details of the event. A lot of moms, after they give birth, they retell the birth story. Some women do not want to have that conversation because they want to avoid reliving that trauma. So then there's then another symptom is persistent increased arousal. And there's the similar irritability, difficulty sleeping, hypervigilance, exaggerated startle response. So if you think about a war veteran, 4th of July is horrible for them, right? They get very jumpy. Same thing for a mom who's experienced a traumatic delivery. They may have a startled response. There's anxiety and panic attacks and a feeling, uh, feeling a sense of unreality and detachment. This one is where the body kicks in and tries to protect that mom from that traumatic event and it disconnects. We call it dissociation or depersonalization. And that's where the mom almost is watching the events go on without any physical or emotional attachment. It's a defense mechanism, but it can also lead to an inability to bond with the baby, kind of inability to really connect to their world because they've dissociated or they've kind of detached. And one thing to keep in mind with PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder is that this illness can be real or perceived. So here's what I mean by that. Many women experience unplanned C-sections, right? It, it happens. One woman may experience it and it's not, you know, they may say, well, it's fine for me. But for another woman, the perception of this unplanned C-section is like a violation. And so it is very personal in terms of, what that trauma means to that mom or what that experience, I should say, means to that mom, right? So we can't say, oh, well, I had a C-section. You should be fine. No. Each woman responds differently. So that trauma can be real or perceived, and, and we respect both either way. So the next one, which is the rarest form of postpartum disorder is postpartum psychosis. This is a rare illness that it's rare compared to perinatal anxiety or perinatal depression. It occurs in approximately one or two out of every 1,000 deliveries. So that's approximately 0.1% wow. of births very rare. The thing that's unfortunate with postpartum psychosis is because it can have some really detrimental effects, such as loss of life or the killing of a baby, it gets a lot of attention. 
but um, truly it is rare. And these are the symptoms. For postpartum psychosis, there's delusions or strange beliefs, right? So you may have a woman who says, I am the Virgin Mary and I just gave birth to Jesus. And they believe that. They may experience hallucinations mm -hmm. where they're seeing or hearing things that aren't there. And they respond to that stimuli. So if someone is, if they hear a voice talking to them, they'll respond to that voice. Sometimes they don't, but you know, that, that response can be there. Feeling very irritated, hyperactivity, a decreased need for or inability to sleep. So we're talking days without sleeping, paranoia, or suspiciousness, so feeling that somebody has poisoned the baby's bottle, right? Rapid mood swings and difficulty communicating at times. Sometimes I don't want to say mute, but you know, just difficulty communicating clearly at times. And someone might ask, what is the risk factor? What is the chance that I may? develop postpartum psychosis and it's really if you've had personal history of psychosis or a family history of bipolar disorder with a psychotic episode or psychosis of the women who develop postpartum psychosis the research has suggested that there is approximately a 5% suicide rate and a 4% infanticide rate that's associated with this illness. That is why mm -hmm. if you know a mom or if you mom are experiencing any of these symptoms related to psychosis, you do want to get help as soon as possible. Does it mean that you're going to harm yourself or your baby? No, right? We're not saying that. We're saying that the chances increase. But if you get the help, you reduce that. You reduce that. So um, the, the psychosis can be scary because they are experiencing a break from reality. If you remember when we talked about the intrusive thoughts with anxiety or intrusive thoughts with even the PTSD, the moms do not want those thoughts. They know that those thoughts do, um, they don't own them, if I can say. They're mm -hmm. upsetting to them. For someone who is experiencing psychosis, they believe it. Yeah. They believe yeah. it. They need to kill this baby that, if, if they view the baby, for example, as a cancer, I'm kind of giving some examples, right? They, so they say, I need to get rid of the cancer. You understand? So that's why this one is different. It's different from intrusive thoughts. Intrusive thoughts are unwanted. Psychosis, there is belief in the thought. So can these other disorders that you mentioned, can it lead to psychosis? Can it progress to that? So the only time I can say yes is with bipolar. So there is postpartum bipolar as well. 
bipolar, there's bipolar one and bipolar two. Bipolar one is kind of the more um, extreme one with very high highs, which we call manic state or mania, and then very low lows, which is severe depression, right? And those moods can fluctuate often within, you know, um, a, a time period. With bipolar disorder, psychosis can occur, right? Psychosis can occur. And so is that a possibility? Yes. I, to be honest, I don't know of any cases where someone has had anxiety and it's progressed to psychosis. Right. Yeah. I think they're different. So it's, I don't think that there is a direct mm. correlation there. So for example, yeah. untreated perinatal anxiety will lead to perinatal psychosis. I, I don't right. know the research. I don't think the research is behind it that says that. Yeah. And I think it's most yeah. more of a layered issue. Um, mm. Like the woman has had issues with mental health in the past. Either she's had a history of schizophrenia yes. or she has a history of bipolar or any type of mental disorder be prior to pregnancy. When you started talking about psychosis, I started thinking about Andrea Yates. And yes. that is the woman who drowned her five children in a bathtub. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was later discovered, you know, that she was suffering from postpartum psychosis, but she also had other issues such as um, schizophrenia and everything that they mm -hmm. were working with before she even got pregnant. There you go. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and here's the danger, though, right? When people think about Andrea Yates, they'll, they'll say postpartum depression. That's not postpartum mm -hmm. depression in, in, yeah. in that sense, right? So, yes, with postpartum depression, you might have thoughts about harming yourself or harming your child, and you can get help for that. But psychosis is, it's, it's different. It's different. And so um, what she experienced, she had a history of mental health issues, right? Which is why we do want to address them whenever they come up so that it doesn't become a greater issue. You mentioned this before too, when we don't really screen for it, when we don't treat it, it has a trickle-down effect on our families. It has a trickle-down effect in our communities. So yes. it's something that absolutely we need to be aware of. We need to be cognizant of. I'm, I use the same word, but you know, we, we need to just be aware and do something about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So... That is uh, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders in a nutshell. <laughs> a lot of information there, mm -hmm. but, um, but there are so many, and it's it's yeah. good to know that there's others besides postpartum depression because that's the one yes. that we hear about the most. Now, there are some social determinants or social barriers that mm -hmm. prevent mothers from receiving the help that they need. I wanted you to dive into this and give us a little bit of feedback um, on what you've noticed in the community. So there, there are a couple of things that prevents a mom from really getting the help that she needs. And to be honest, the first one is that she's caring for a baby. <laughs> Mm -hmm. There is kind of a consumption. You're consumed with 
the feeding, the changing, the, you know, all of that. And you just move on to the next moment, not really taking stock of how you're feeling. So that's, that's one aspect. I think another one is being embarrassed for a mom and that stigma Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you don't want to feel as though they're like, you can't do it. You've seen your mom do it. Maybe you saw your sister, your cousins, your, you know, people in your community have children. They seem to be okay, but for whatever reason, it's harder for you. And there's a sense of embarrassment, a shame of saying something. And I I want you to know that, believe it or not, more women than not feel the same way you do. And that's the reality. So when I initially said about 15% of women experience perinatal depression, for example, that's like one in seven, give or take. We believe that number to be higher because we know that many women don't report it, but yes, they experience it. When I talk to my circle, when, I, when I'm talking with clients, you hear, wait a second, this is more prevalent than what's being reported. So mom, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed. So there is that. And finances, lack of support, can also be barriers for moms in getting the help that they need. But I think truly for a lot of them, it's internal. It's the one not being aware because they're trying to be the best for their baby. And then two, just feeling embarrassed and ashamed to say something. Yeah, I think something else that kind of adds to the determinants is religion sometimes, because in certain faiths, mm-hmm. it places a negative connotation on mental illnesses, especially for depression and anxiety. Sometimes of certain faiths, you, you shouldn't feel sad and or mm-hmm. you shouldn't feel depressed. There's no such mm-hmm. thing as depression. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that can have an effect on someone seeking out help. Um, another thing is, and we talked about it earlier, sometimes the healthcare provider can yeah. be a barrier because a woman can actually go for help, but then it gets dismissed as baby blues right. or right. you'll be fine, just do this, that, and the other, you know, and that can be very frustrating and discouraging for a woman who goes out to see the help. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah, you're right. So here is one of the effects that happens with the mental health issues or illnesses. It can cause you not to form an attachment or bond to your child. That bond is extremely important for that child's social development, psychological development. And so the research says children might become hyperactive. They might display behavioral issues in school. All of these things can occur as a result of this lack of attachment that this child experiences, right? They might have oppositional defiance in in school. And, Mm -hmm. And so, and this is just one of the many factors. So we have been talking about moms and I know that your, your audience is primarily women, but perinatal mood and anxiety disorders also affect fathers. So if they're in the home or if they're involved, 
they can also be affected by these things. And, and because so, they become caregivers. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. And so the child that is in a home with parents that have mental health issues but aren't addressing it, it can affect them. With perinatal depression, for example, if a mom doesn't have the energy to get even care for herself, she's at risk for having a low birth baby, for having a preemie. And so that leads to, I mean, just so many domino effects. Yeah. <laughs> Like, mm -hmm. and, right? <laughs> and so, so here's the other thing I deal with. Mm -hmm. I deal with when I see clients, the first assessment I do is an ACE assessment, which is adverse childhood experiences. Have you experienced any, um, any abuse in childhood? Things like that. And when there's untreated mental health issues, it can lead to, uh, <laughs> So many other different things. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So I just got the, a little overwhelmed thinking about I, it. I know. <laughs> it is overwhelming. It is. Mm -hmm. And so you can only imagine what families and communities are going through, the ones that are experiencing this. Yeah. And now, for some of the disorders that you just mentioned, what mm -hmm. are some of the conservative approaches to management? I know in some of the worst case scenarios, there would be medication or different invasive treatments, but what are some of the conservative approaches to management? Yeah, so each woman is different. Right, so there isn't a one size fits all for women. And so I would definitely encourage you to speak with a professional about it. But you would want to increase self-care. Mom, take care of yourself. Um, I know sometimes people say taking a shower shouldn't be self-care or eating a balanced meal shouldn't be considered self-care. But if that's what can help mom to feel better, then yes, that's what you do, right? So increasing your ability to care, <clears throat> excuse me, for yourself. And if I can speak personally, one of my therapies was a long, warm shower. It did mm -hmm. something for me. It it did. It relaxed me. I was able to hang out a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. It helped my body. I just... It's it, something it was about very, those hot baths. <laughs> listen. Very rejuvenating. <laughs> very rejuvenating. So yes, increasing self-care, right? Whatever that is for you. Um, social support. You know the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child? I believe it takes a village to raise a child and a mom. So as much as you can get support from your community, your family, your friends, do that. If there is a phrase that PSI, which is the Postpartum Support International that they say, and I love it. And they say that there is, I wanna quote it directly, Ah, I will find it. I will find it. <laughs> but the idea is, I, I won't be able to quote it, but the idea is women are constantly giving. But if there is one time that a woman should be receiving, it is when she becomes a new mom. And I don't even mean a new mom for the first time, right? Because a mom that has a second baby is now a new mom of two. 
If she has three babies, she is now a new mom of three because it's a different dynamic, different scenario. But being a mom, a new mom, is the time to receive. Sometimes we're constantly giving to others or we have a hard time asking for help. Oh, mom, give yourself the permission to ask for help. So one thing that helped was people cooking for me and my family or people saying, what can I bring you? I'd say a salad or bring me, right? So if, if Mm -hmm. they can prep your meals for you, do that. If they can bring food for you, do that. It helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If there is someone that you trust to come in and do light cleaning in your home to do that for you, right? Mm -hmm. If your spouse or partner is not available, then get that help it's invaluable yeah because we can't do it all alone yeah you have to delegate yeah yeah some moms it's some for some people it's very hard but Mm -hmm. again i'm asking moms give yourself the permission to ask for help because this is the time to need it yeah and if you don't give it to yourself we're giving it to you today yeah on the eavesdrop (laughs) delegate away (laughs) yes and my favorite which is i i think it's conservative is talk therapy Mm -hmm. right getting connected with it preferably a trained perinatal mental health counselor Mm -hmm. and if not a counselor that just has some good knowledge of Mm -hmm. moms and what they go through counseling can help because again sometimes you have these thoughts and you really think oh no i'm broken oh no there's something wrong with me when in actuality if you get to talk through them you process them you maybe look at new ways at you look at a situation a different way Mm -hmm. it can really help it can really truly help and if anything it just allows you a safe place to yeah. cry if you need to, mm-hmm. a safe place to be angry if you need to, mm-hmm. just a safe place to be able to process your emotions. Talk therapy or counseling can definitely do that. Support groups. There are a lot of support groups oh, yeah. for women who are suffering from perinatal mental disorders. And yes. I think just being amongst other women who are going through the same thing yes. is very comforting. You can also learn tips and how they are actually getting through the times as well. Yeah. Too. There are a lot of organizations around that have support groups. Yeah, You hit that on mm-hmm. the head. So that goes along with the social support is social mm-hmm. is, is support groups. And mm-hmm. these, you said it. So on Facebook, they have support groups. On there's again PSI, yes. the organization that I'm referencing. They offer support groups. There are support groups local to South Florida, throughout the the country. Mm-hmm. There are support groups for women, so that you know that you are not alone. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's yeah. one thing for like your mom to say, oh, you'll be okay. I'm here to support you or your friends mm-hmm. or your spouse. But it's nothing like being among someone who's going through the same thing at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> you don't feel alone. So, yeah, and you so, know, mm-hmm. and sometimes what happens is when you tell your mom or you tell your aunt, you feel judged or mm-hmm. you, there's a sense <laughs> that you will be judged. Not that they mm-hmm. do even, but you might get that sense. But yeah. when it's strangers... You kind of feel like I can be free. Let it rip. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell it all. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, 
like, you're not gonna go tell uncle, you're not gonna mm-hmm. tell cousin, or you're not gonna tell my friend or pastor. So I'm, I can be me. I can yeah. be me. So absolutely, mm-hmm. I am a fan of support groups. I actually had to create my own <laughs> when I became a mom. I didn't know. I again, oh, I didn't awesome. know. But that yeah. was awesome, though, for you to take that extra step. Do yeah. you still have the support group going? Mm-hmm. Okay, that is wonderful. Do you want to give the information sure for that support group? Oh, cool. so uh, interesting. So when I say mm-hmm, it's actually of my friends. Oh, it is. So okay. I don't have any yet that I'm doing for the community, but when I do, I will let you know. But I think that would be awesome for you to get that started. You'll be awesome for it because Thank you have you. the knowledge base and you've been there. This has Thank been a you. wonderful episode. And I just hope that we reach at least one or two people. If we yes. reach more, that is even better. So yeah. Thank you so much for coming. And You're that is welcome. A wrap. <laughs> Thank you for having me. We did it. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode i would love to thank natalie belazar for sharing her knowledge and expertise with us natalie provides services with therapy terrace which is a christian faith-based counseling center You may find out more about Natalie and her services at therapyterrace.com. Also follow Therapy Terrace on Instagram at Therapy Terrace. Thank you again, Natalie. To learn more about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, be sure to check out Postpartum Support International, also known as PSI. The website is simply postpartum.net. You may reach them by phone at 1-800-944-4773. On the PSI website, you can learn more about the different disorders that we discuss here today, as well as find support in peer groups. Finally, if you are enjoying the eavesdrop, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. When you rate the show, this will allow more women to find and explore the show. Also, tell a sister, tell a friend, tell a co-worker, tell everybody you know about the eavesdrop. Don't keep all this good information to yourself. I have a lot of interesting and informative shows that are in the works, so you definitely want to stay tuned. Remember, follow the eavesdrop on IG at therealeavesdrop underscore podcast. And if you have any questions or concerns or any ideas for show topics, Feel free to DM me or just shoot me an email at drshalanabattle at gmail.com. Well, until the next episode, be well, be whole, and be blessed. Bye.